All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode. And for this episode, I got to introduce you guys to my guest today, because if you watched any of my previous episodes having to do with Road Rules Northern Trail, you'll know that I've chatted with several of his fellow former cast members. He is John Holmes. How you doing, sir? Mike, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to finally meet you. You know, for those um, kind of aren't aware, me and him have actually been in contact and communication for probably quite a while at this point, probably half a year, I'd say, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think so, mm -hmm. yeah. And I remember when you first reached out, actually, I thought it was, um, I thought I was like being gagged by somebody because your 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 Twitter profile, your Twitter profile um, had a uh, Waluigi profile picture, I believe. Waluigi. That's right. That is right. Okay, I just didn't want it. It was a Wario Waluigi. <laughs> oh, sure, I, they're very easy to mix up. Yeah, that I, was actually a Waluigi avatar based on the old Dire Straits video for Money for Nothing. Mm -hmm. So, and and for a little while, I can't remember if it's still true. My uh, Twitter handle was Wani for Nothing because you flip that M around and turn it mm -hmm. into a W for, yeah. for Wario and Waluigi. That's a joke. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm a big, uh, well, at least my childhood, at least a lot of that came up through the uh, years of playing Super Smash Bros, Mario Kart, because I was a GameCube kid. You know, that was like the oh, thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was the thing. I'm so fortunate that I actually had to or got to live through the era of GameCube, because for those that um, haven't gotten to play, that's a very good station. I would actually argue probably a top three game station ever created. Mike, when we're done with the show, I'd love to get your mailing address. I'll send you a copy of a Nintendo magazine I write for. I just reviewed a brand new GameCube controller. They're still making them. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're still in the market. If you still got your GameCube, you can dust off and play some Melee on there. But uh, this controller is not that bad for it. Yeah, my, my GameCube in particular, the console, went out of commission probably a decade and a half ago. But luckily, I still have the... Uh, the original Nintendo Wii, so I have. Oh the, yeah. Yeah, I use the controllers from the GameCube, and I just hook it onto the Wii, so I could still. Backwards compatibility. It's a it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so when you first reached out, I thought I was like being gagged by somebody because I was like, they were saying like they were John from you know Road Rules Five, obviously, and I was like, at first I didn't answer immediately, but I was like, I kept it like kind of. Um, in like the rear view, like I was keeping an eye on it because like, okay, I kind of want to look into this a little more, you know, and then like I saw some of my, um, some people that I'd previously chatted with, I think followed you. I think Susie might've been one of them and, um, somebody mm -hmm. else. So I was like, oh, okay, I think there's the green light I need. And then obviously the rest is history. And now here we are. So, um, glad we could, uh, finally chat. So, um, we're going to get into obviously, um, you know, your Twitter personas and I'm sure some other topics in your life as well. But um, firstly, I wanted to bring up since recently, too, um, you resurfaced sort of in the challenge world that is on Twitter. You know, and I saw a lot of people had uh, seen you at some challenge related events. And then recently you also posted a photo. You look like you're getting ready to uh, gear up for a challenge. So talk me <laughs> through kind of uh, the resurfacing in, in the uh, challenge community and kind of what led to that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. It's been really heartwarming, frankly, and I am someone who responds emotionally 
in a big way. If something is a logically good idea, I might not do it. And anyone who remembers my season uh, of road rules may remember me making some illogical decisions. That much hasn't changed. Uh, my hair has changed. And, and, and that is to say, it is no longer present. It was the candle that burned twice as hot, but uh, burnt out twice as fast, unfortunately. So I haven't had hair for about a decade. But I have sort of danced around the road rules community here and there as it has died out, as far as I can tell. Like a lot of people don't even know the challenge was started on road rules where my season of road rules actually played against the real world all-stars, Eric and John Brennan and, and, and all those folks. So it, because the show kind of waned in popularity and I was doing a lot of stuff in gaming at the time and was actually one of the first folks to try streaming on Twitch. Have you heard of Twitch? Yeah. Yeah. Before it was called Twitch, it was called Justin TV. <laughs> Like Justin, the name Justin? or Just a guy named Justin was like, this is my TV, Justin TV, I guess. And because the concept was so perfect for what people wanted at that time, the fact that it had a very unmarketable name and didn't seem like it had much business acumen to it, it still like took off. And I was I was in there 2010 or so streaming games like Super Meat Boy for charity and whatnot to a group of people that had no idea it was on road rules because they looked different. And that show, I think, had already been canceled for maybe like three years. I'm trying to remember the last season. I think it was 2007, maybe. For road so, rules? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. So long story short, I just sort of put it behind me. I would get recognized every once in a while at, a, uh, at restaurants and stuff, but very, very rarely, and only by like super fans. It was actually the last time I remember getting recognized was at an Indian restaurant where the clerk said, did you play in the cereal? And I was picturing like a giant bowl of Lucky Charms or Fruit Loops or something. But it turns out in India, a TV show isn't called a series, it's called a serial, like a serial show. And play is to be like an actor. So Mm -hmm. he he thought of me as someone who had acted on a TV show, even though it was a reality show. Uh, and he had watched it in India, which was which was pretty neat. So there's still pockets of folks who, for usually unusual reasons, remember me. But by and large, I've moved on to mostly writing reviews of games, doing videos about video games and whatnot. But I just had this feeling that maybe there was still something there. And I saw Scott Yeager, who does the Challenge Mania podcast with Derek, was doing a live event in Boston and was like, can I crash it? And Scott was like, who is this Waluigi guy? I don't know. Here, you can't come. Uh, he didn't say that, but he more or less um, didn't respond until Derek was like, oh, yeah, he was on like five seasons before me. Get that guy on there. Yeah, get him on there. And they like invited me on the stage and I gave a little like, where is he now talk on stage. And people were super kind to the other folks on stage with me, Jasmine, Tina. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember, some folks I met for the very first time, Mark Long, who I went yeah. to the uh, Video Music Awards with back in the year 2000, uh, which was super weird to see him again, like 20 odd years later. He was giving me a big hug. I don't know if you've met Mark. He's Oh, he's been on the show. Yeah, I actually talked to him. Of course he is. Awesome. Mm-hmm. He hugs like, like he knows how to 
get you just tight enough. Like he could crush you and you know he could crush you, but he chooses not to. So it's both like flattering and supportive and he hugs people constantly. I saw that man hug at least a hundred people uh, at the at the event on its own. So, so yeah, I met up with all them. They were super kind and welcoming. I gave away copies of the magazine I work at. People actually were like, like uh, Michelle Fitzgerald. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. She was on Survivor and um, uh, Challenge All Stars recently. She was crying. Not All Stars, sorry, regular Challenge. She started crying with me immediately because I was being therapeutic towards her. She was having a rough moment and like gave her a little little side hug, be like, you're you're great. You're going to do great out there. That's like two different eras colliding right there. <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. There's a picture of that, and she was willing to pose with the magazine for uh, the magazine because the producer of the magazine I write for, Nintendo Force, loves Survivor. Doesn't like road rules that much, but loves Survivor. So he saw me with Michelle and, like, freaked out. Uh, so he he printed a picture of us, and I'm making, like, the worst face. I, I don't know what was wrong with me. I'm like... But he printed it anyway because she looked fantastic, and that was that was kind of the point. So yeah, after that, I thought, why don't I start checking out who's on, who else is on Twitter? I started chatting with Tina pretty regularly, mm -hmm. uh, uh, who's very vivacious and instantly connectable personality. Like if you meet Tina for two minutes, you know Tina. There's there's no like, <laughs> and she had like crowds of people around her. She she's uh, such a um, someone who's just naturally magnetic, I guess you could say. And she was willing to hang out and talk. She was happy to have met me, and that led to other people in the community finding out about me and saying they hope I get on the challenge again someday. Mark said you might get on the challenge, so you better go to the gym. I've been going to the gym six days a week ever since. Because when that guy that's greets you and welcomes you but also says like you might compete against me and i love sending people home with the he turns the menace on like suddenly and you're like i better start doing some squats because this guy could crush me crush <laughs> me with his with his panky toe so uh yeah 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 that's that's more or less what's happened over past six months or so and i'm not sure if it's going to lead to anything i obviously I think I'm allowed to say this. I didn't get on uh, Challenge All-Stars 4. Mm -hmm. I might get on this year. If I don't get on this year, I'm going to be so old. Like, I'll, I'll keep working out and whatnot, but I'm, my optimism is going to sink if it doesn't happen this year. But it's, it's possible. Mark has put the feelers out there for me, as well as Tara McDaniel, who knows some folks from, from casting at Buna Murray, said he's interested. So, so we'll see what happens. Well, that's a good sign that there's at least been, you know, communication because I believe you didn't do a challenge back in the day, right? Like any of the seasons. So, yeah, that's right. I, I have a chip on my shoulder a little bit. At first I was like, am I good enough to get on the Mike Lewis show? Because I wasn't good enough to get on the challenge, I guess. They called me once and I want to say it was 2001 or so. So still pretty early on. And said, we'd really be interested in, in having you on. I was like, say no more. I'm there. Then they called me back, I want to say, three weeks later and said, um, they got somebody from Europe on instead that year. I can't remember his name. I'd never met him. He seemed really nice, though. Mm -hmm. I was happy for him. And I've always heard rumors that the casting group looks at what celebrity is popular right now. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes aligns their cast with cast members who look like those celebrities. So... Wow, I, I actually didn't think about that. I, yeah, I'm not sure if it's true, but I, I, 
when you look at it from that lens, you might see like, oh, she looks a lot like Uma Thurman and like Pulp Fiction just came out. Mm -hmm. She was on the challenge or um, I used to have if I was in the sun for a little bit, I'm of mixed race. So like depending on how much I stay in the tan, I may uh, stay in the tanning bed or stay uh, out in the sun. I may um, look more. I, I will look less white than other times, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. My race is sort of changeable, which I've always kind of uh, been grateful for because it gives me a really interesting perspective on how race is just a construct and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, if I got a tan and I had hair, I looked a little like Lenny Kravitz and I could pull that off if he had any hits. <laughs> now I'm like a small, slightly flabby The Rock unless I go on a diet. I could, I could do that, like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could pull it off. I put some contacts in instead of the glasses. So maybe my small flabby rock appeal, a little rock appeal will will help me in the long run. But but I don't know. There's some really strong, mm -hmm. incredible competitors. And the show has just turned into a professional sports program, basically. And I'm I'm not a professional athlete. So I can see why they would just continually not choose me and and it would be a bummer but at the same time i would almost agree with them like yeah you should get latarian on and not me are you kidding me kefla he's incredible yeah uh, i would pick him instead of me too so it'll be one of those things where like i asked the girl out on the date and i thought she was too good for me and she says no and i'll be like i, I agree you're right <laughs> you're, you're better off but if they do pick me i'll i'll certainly give it the best i got well, for whoever ends up hearing that, I mean, that's at least a good sign for not only you, but them, too, because I know, you know, as far as real worlders and road rulers who maybe didn't get the opportunity or just didn't work out for whatever reason in the past during the uh, original stints of their time on the show, um, you basically have the opportunity, if that were to ever come to fruition, to kind of break that barrier down as like one of those uh, real worlders or road rulers who made it onto All-Stars without doing an original challenge, which I've been honestly clamoring for uh, for a while on here. I'd be, I'm very much so would be into the for whole format of like maybe pairing up somebody who's been on challenges before with like a, so to speak, fresh meat, who's like not really a fresh meat, but like in the challenge sense, but they've done a real world or road rules. Right, right, right. That's super interesting. And I'm, constantly interested in finding out what the fans of these shows want now because mm -hmm. when i was initially on it was before survivor big brother it was a completely different world and it's interesting that i feel like i've sort of snuck my way in to being mildly famous twice now now with video game stuff and before with road rules because when reality shows first started it was there was a huge gate between who got to be on famous and who who wasn't, who got to be on TV or movies. It was the only way to be famous then. And Road Rules was the first time and Real World were the first time that people said, why don't we just like knock that gate down and we'll just pick random people from the street. Like mm -hmm. uh, people used to say, what did you do to get on? I'm like, it was the same as if I walked down the street and there was a news camera filming because there was a bomb threat or something at the coffee shop. And they're like, what do you think of the bomb threat? I just talked in front of the camera. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. It had nothing to do with any skills or talent or anything. And that was the first time people without skills or talent, frankly, could be on TV. Now people without skills and talent can get famous on 
YouTube and Twitch and whatnot. And I, I got in there a little bit too at one point. But uh, long story short, I feel like what I could tell from the Challenge Mania event anyway is that there is an audience of parents who are bringing their kids up on these shows because these were the shows that they were brought up on. And with Paramount Plus, a lot of them are accessible and streamable. So there is a nostalgia factor of getting an older face like me on there to kind of bring people back to an earlier time in their life. And also someone like me might be more relatable because I really am just like a regular person with a day job and I do video game stuff more or less for fun, but it pays a little bit. But long story short, I'm not like Mark Long or, or Derek or these hardcore Mark's a professional wrestler now too. Like I'm not, I'm not on their league. So I feel like bringing folks like me back would bring back the every appeal a little bit. That was more of what these shows were about when I was on it, because now they are, from what I can tell, and you, I'd love to hear about this from you. It seems like the fan base is really heavily into it as just a competition. It's like mm -hmm. a side order of soap opera with a whole lot of sports. And that's working. The show is still popular, but they could bring in another audience who is more of the nostalgia audience who just wants to see what those old faces are up to, like with the real world homecoming for um for for rules in the challenge. I just realized that's what All Stars is. They already did it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not such a hot idea but yeah. um but they could go even more old school i guess with even less competitive people just getting our butts kicked and and sent home or 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 some other concept i thought what if they did a, a road rules where people all new people younger people go to different cities and catch up with a old cast member and oh, do a mission with them yeah yeah. Oh, thanks. I, I hope so. I uh, I used to wrestle for a group called Kaiju Big Battle. They're a Boston-based okay. monster wrestling group. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I always wanted to do a Kaiju Big Battle Road Rules um, mission. But mm -hmm. And actually, I told this to Susie on her podcast a while ago. I think one of the reasons I never got picked for the challenge is because I think it was 2000, Real World Road Rules Challenge 2000. They did a mud wrestling match in Boston, and I stormed the stage dressed as one of those monsters. And the announcer was like, John Holmes is in the ring. And I was like, this is going to be such a funny moment for the show. And they edited it out. You can see my sneaker in one frame. <laughs> but uh, the producer of the show at the time, Rick, who I knew from my season, he just looked at me like, I just like, I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this show, but no, he, yeah, he, yeah, he he looked at me like I shat in a salad and walked away. You know, like I just ruined that. They had set, and I was a, a dumb kid at the time. Um, I would do things much differently now if I was on the show, but I thought I was just adding some flavor to the show, <laughs> and they were like, "You borderline ruined this thousand dollar mission that we had to set up," and. You know, the crew was working on this all week and you just came in there like you own the place. He never said that to me, but thinking on it since then, that's how I look at it now. And I feel badly about that. If if you're watching, Rick, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. Uh, I was young and in love. I didn't know what I was doing. So did you think that that potentially blacklisted you at all from challenges? I, 
I wasn't sure. I knew Rick wasn't happy based on his face. But then they did call me a couple years later. Oh, and, okay. but then they called me again and said no. So I wondered, like, did they change their mind because somebody else was just better? Or did they tell Rick they called me and Rick was like, no, not that guy. <laughs> like Rick, um, he, he, Rick's arms are like this big. I could talk about Rick for a while. It's so weird having been on one of these shows because the show you saw, if you watched that old season, if you haven't, I have, I have it on, unlisted on YouTube. I'm happy to send you a link. Oh, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, I re when I watch the show, it's like watching select photographs from a summer where I remember all the other stuff that also happened that summer and mm -hmm. how the crew interacts with you does like make a huge difference. Like uh, we were doing a cattle wrestling mission, the cattle, cattle drive mission, and the camera got up in my face and I was like, we're going to get these cows to where they need to go. And Rick was like, don't mug for the camera. Stop doing that. And I was like, sorry, Rick. Like Rick was kind of always on my case. So I, I <laughs> have to imagine that when I stormed the wrestling ring, it was like, not this asshole again. And, and that was that. So. Yeah, well, we could actually kind of now dive into your sort of beginnings, because I want to talk about um, kind of what led you onto the path that you're currently on, which I want to start by bringing it back to sort of like your upbringing in Boston. That's sure. where you, so you grew up in Boston. What was kind of like the nucleus, I guess you could say of where you were in your life prior to going on to road rules. Like, were you somebody that had aspirations for being on TV or just being known for something? Sure. Sure. Great question. I was real bad in high school had no idea what my future was going to be. Started a funk band called Johnny Holmes and the Friggin' Speed Bumps. That was not very good. We had two drummers, two bass players, no guitarist. I don't know if you've ever been in a band, Mike, but that's not generally how you should do it. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to see if being myself in a really in-your-face sort of way might lead me to get to do something, be it music. I used to make little home movies with my friends, similar to the kind of videos you'll see on TikTok now, mm -hmm. uh, but with a VHS tape just edited, like we would, oh, I don't know. Um, there was one series me and my friends made where we had a secret agent who had very short legs. So my friend just, uh, you know, bent his knees and put them in shoes and walked around and we'd act like he's like casing the house and trying to get in and fight a drug dealer or something. And we'd edit it ourselves and add music and stuff like that. Some of those are on YouTube, but I'm not going to tell you where to find them right now. Um, but no like acting classes, no idea of like getting an agent and being a mainstream success. The hope was to just be myself and somehow get paid for it someday. And then weirdly enough, I sort of got to do that by first trying out for the real world because it was coming to Boston that year and I didn't actually want to travel. So I was like, oh, that'll be easy. It's just like a half hour from my house. Didn't get picked for that. Got picked for the travel show and I barely watched it. I think I'd watched um, some of the Europe season, the island season with uh, Kaylee and Jake hadn't been on yet. They're great, by the way. I haven't seen Kaylee in years, but she's... um fantastic person um so they sort of gave me road rules as a second choice and i certainly wasn't going to say no and when i was on it i was definitely consciously thinking like 
I am not like your standard person who's on TV. I had seen Real World season three and I looked up to Pedro and Judd the most, uh, but I recognized that the one who was breaking the most boundaries on that season in some ways in terms of who gets to be on TV in terms of how they look and act, though Pedro broke all the boundaries for having HIV and being out, that was aspirational. But then Puck was the guy who was like, I'm lowering the bar all the way down. Like, I'm going to like spit loogies and be gross. And he got kicked off. He was just awful. And I was yeah. like, I could do that. But nice. I'm going to be like the nice Puck, I guess. I'll just be out there, be myself, not attempt to fit the mainstream mold at all but not be like a jerk about it. I, I, I've always wanted to show or display that kindness is good. So I tried to be kind on, on the season I was on. Um, and I also kind of wanted to parody how ridiculous people like that were. I remember on the, the show, I was asking Dan Sessler and I think it was Ann, Ann Wharton, I should have a nickname. Like, I don't, I don't want it to be Puck, but I should be like Sweats or Sweets or, or Stinky or something. They're like, you're trying way too hard. You're you're like actively annoying. You need to stop talking. It took me a little while to figure out how to live with totally different people than me in a, in a Winnebago while on TV, while thinking this is the moment I'm going to be famous. So I want to like do the stuff I want to be famous for. I want to do the jokes that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life because this will be on reruns forever while also being myself and not trying too hard. Like it's a very, mm -hmm. and I was 20. So I like knew nothing about relationships or how to be good at stuff, people, life. I was, now I hope you're not 20, Mike, no offense. No, I'm not to, 20. <laughs> to, the, to the kids out there, but I've learned a lot since then. And it's definitely a lot to be on a show like that especially given how there was no YouTube, no internet back then. It was TV and movies and MTV was actually a pretty big deal. So to get on that, that channel at that time was, was a weird big break, but also no, in no way proving that I had talent. So it's not like I was going to segue in anything. It mm -hmm. was like your 15 minutes of fame put out there for the rest of your life, kind of essentially. Was it a culture shock for you, like stepping into that kind of almost like a bubble, right? Like you're mm. you're kind of they have people there that are plugged in basically on your every move. Like, I don't know if it was like this for you guys necessarily, because, I mean, you were on an RV and then, you know, you would do missions that were very kind of I don't want to say micromanaged, but they were they were mm. managed by producers, whereas real world you're managed by producers. But like, you know, if you want to go out and do something you can. You have like a little bit more freedom, I would say, on the real world than you do on road rules. Yeah. So um, being in kind of like that enclosed bubble, was that a culture shock for you at the oh, time? Geez. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's funny. It was so long ago, obviously, but I still dream about being on the show. Mm -hmm. I still will have little moments that remind me of what it was like to be on the show. And it's almost... I don't want to say it's like a flashback because that has a real negative connotation, but it's really transportative to, so it still feels like it was yesterday in a lot of ways to answer your question. 
the amount of shocks happening at once is beyond culture shock, I think. I think mm. the the shock of being with people all the time who are also thinking like, I'm on TV, I can't look bad, but I also can't be a fake or a phony because that's not the point. And I'm also like in my early 20s, so I don't even know how to be fake all the time. Like it it's, takes a lot of work to be fake 24 seven. There was that shock. It was the shock of trying to integrate with people who are picked intentionally to be very different from each other. It was the fact that the entire, as you said, summer was structured. We shot for 11 weeks. We didn't get to choose what city we were going to next. We didn't get to choose, are you going to be a lumberjack this week or are you going to drive race cars? I think we have the best missions of all of Road Rules, by the way. I can't even believe. I know we went to Canada and that's not all that glamorous, but we did professional wrestling. I worked in an emergency room. I saw like human guts. I still don't know if that's fake. I I, I will wake up in the middle of the night and be like, were those guts real? Like, did that really happen? Uh, I talked to Tara about it all that long ago, and we're like, was that special effects? Like, if you watch the episode, I, I don't know if you can watch it any, anywhere anymore. They have to blur out the guts that they filmed when we're looking at a, at a patient in this emergency room in Detroit. It's not like reality shows today anymore. But yeah, uh, having no control over where you are and who you are and where you're going and what you're doing was was huge. And I actually was pretty miserable on the show halfway through, I'd say. Um, it was clear that like I wasn't going to be in any of the couples on the show. I was sort of the 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 weirdo on the show, much to my own design. But I thought everyone would just think I was hilarious because I was 20 and I didn't know better. And actually, they're like semi-annoying jokes. I hope you stop with the jokes. Uh, and I did. I, I figured out like I need to just connect with the people I'm on the show with and be a genuine person and be a little bit less thinking about how is this going to look later on TV. And by the end of the show, I can speak for myself anyway, I felt really bonded with everybody on my cast and really close to them and cared about them deeply. I'm kind of terrible at staying in touch with people in general. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been the best about that. But like if Noah knocked on my door today, I would start crying, I'm sure, and like hug him and like want to tell him all about my life. When people actually arrive in my life, I <laughs> Tara gave me her number not that long ago. She didn't know where to find me. I texted her at like five in the morning. I'm like, I'm so excited to talk to you. And she's like, I'm in California. This is not okay. Look, I'm so sorry. I'll talk to you later. You know, um, I, I I love all those people a whole lot. It just took me a little while to figure out how to um, how to be on a TV show while meeting totally new people and traveling across the country all at the same time to navigate all that in a way where I still could show up as close to a version of my best self at the time. Well, I mean, when you take into account that time period, at least, the franchise as a whole, I know Real World had uh, started first, obviously, and they had done seasons up to that point. But in general, the whole franchise and just overall world and sphere of what that type of genre was, was all fairly new. Mm. And being a 20-year-old in general is a very confusing time, like not, not only just like when it comes to being on a TV show and meeting people 
um, that you don't know for the first time. Just being a 20-year-old in general is a confusing time. And then to kind of put you in front of a camera and ask you to bond with people you don't know for the first time that are also coming from different walks of life. I can imagine that's like not the most easiest thing to do in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very empathetic of you. Our first mission was we were pushed off a bridge and did a bungee jump. And then I think like our second mission was being caddies for celebrities. So we met Samuel L. Jackson and uh, oh, cool. Al from uh, Home Improvement and one <laughs> of the Baldwin brothers. And so it was like, now I have to like meet Samuel L. Jackson on camera and do a good job. I'm in Canada or no, I'm not even in Canada anymore. That was three days ago. Like it was such a whirlwind and that kind of chaos TV. I personally miss it. I think you get some of that on the internet these days, mm -hmm. but my sense from reality TV shows these days is they don't want to take as many risks as they did because they know that a successful reality TV show could be the biggest show on TV. Back then, they didn't have those kinds of aspirations. It no. was like real world, road rules, remote control, the old uh, <laughs> MTV game show with Adam Sandler before he was famous or as famous. It, it was all low budget, silly, no mainstream potential stuff until suddenly all these things did become mainstream. And now, now there's the idea that if they craft it and do it just right, that their reality show can be a huge moneymaker. So, you know, our show was completely unscripted. Uh, we truly were just ourselves for better or worse. And I'm not sure if that's the way it always happens now. Well, they have more to lose now, I feel. With yeah. like the, just the time periods are different, obviously. Yeah. Um, so there's like way more at stake i suppose than back then when the whole genre in general was fairly new so it's like you know there's really no precedent set at that moment in time to where you could be like oh well if this doesn't go right then we're screwed you know it was kind yeah, of exactly it was like throwing caution to the wind in general so i mean exactly the the highs were high uh potentially but not as high as they are now yeah. And the lows, like, what's the worst that could happen? I, I guess it would get canceled, but, uh, you know, the the budget, I, I don't know if anyone's revealed to you how much they got paid for being on road rules at that time. I think it was $300 a week. I would have made more money landscaping. Like, they, they didn't, mm. our missions were, I'm sure they had to pay WWE something, but MTV was so big back then that they might have just been like, can we just show up and hang up with you guys? And it's like a free commercial for WWE. I would love to know how much Road Rules cost to make back then. But my sense was, like, our Winnebago was worse than the Cruise Winnebago. But their Winnebago was bigger, but still not great. Like, we were not living the high life then. And I don't know, again, if that's the way it is with reality shows these days. I'm guessing the Osbournes are asking... That's not still on anymore, is it? Yeah, the Kardashians. Kardashians still on. Yeah, I don't know. Still... I don't think the Osbournes. No, probably not. I'm, I'm dating myself. Uh, yeah. So yeah, very different stakes these days than back then. Did you? Um, w what did you experience maybe coming off of the show in terms of once the show is wrapped, you go and film it. It's all you know. They put a bow on it. Did you experience any withdrawal? Uh, mm. upon upon returning back from filming 
that's a wonderful question, Mike. You're really you're really good at this stuff. Listen, I'm not too bad at this, huh? <laughs> no, I'm excited about your future, young Mike Lewis. Uh, the getting off the show was a, a sigh of relief, and it wasn't that long until it was airing. So then it was just anticipation of what are they going to edit me into? And I think the editors did a fantastic job, and they also only had so much to work with. So the best you can do when condensing a week-long uh, period of somebody's life with five other people into a 22-minute show is to do a caricature. So it, it was like a the editing job was a great caricature of me, but there were some things that were just not actually factual like there's one scene where i'm crying and it's very dramatic and it makes it look like i'm crying over i think Anne, mm -hmm. but i was crying because of like deep dark family stuff that they got out of me in a confessional but that would have been a total segue to do like a, a an episode about john's bad family like that i don't think that would have been hot tv at the time whereas the drama with the girl made sense so they took the crying clip and I say something like, feelings are hard. I don't like feelings. And then they show Anne being like, you're, you're not good enough for me, John. And it wasn't, I, I did have a crush on Anne. I had a crush on all those girls. They're, they're incredible. It's 20 years old. Who could play me? Uh, they're like funny and smart and pretty. Uh, but no, that, that instance of me crying, I never cried about Anne, I don't think. She let me know early on, like not interested. I'm like, okay. I'll just follow you around. Is that right? <laughs> She's like, yeah, sure. I like attention. We we said all this on camera. They never used any of that stuff. Uh, but anyway, long story short, not long after the show started airing, and then that was in its own way as intense an adventure as being on the show. Because mm -hmm. now I'm going to the mall and people are saying, Road Rule sucks. And you're the worst of them all. I hate you. Just screaming, I hate you. That's, that's like walking around a public place like with your favorite sports team's jersey or sweatshirt on and then them yelling out. That's essentially. Yeah. That, yeah. I didn't I was not prepared for that. I found pretty quickly that my audience as it were was a lot of minorities and people who were not straight. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of Hispanic lesbians would hug me on site. And they're like, you're my guy. I'm like, thank you. Because I've always been sort of an underdog mm -hmm. in my own mind. And certainly somebody relates with underdogs and roots for them. So a lot of people who were marginalized groups, they saw me as like their person. And a lot of people who don't like marginalized groups or only like the like best looking alpha male on the show thought I sucked. And they would they would yell yell at it at me from a distance. And I'd be like, huh. Well, they didn't really know me. They knew a caricature of me. So it's sort of personal, but not completely personal. Like if I had a caricature of myself on the wall and somebody's like, that drawing's ugly, your nose is too big. It's not saying I'm ugly, it's saying the caricature is. And also, if you're the kind of person to scream at a stranger because you didn't like them on TV, like you probably wouldn't have been my friend anyway. So a little bit of sour grapes. Of course, it's fun when everyone likes you, but it was pretty easy to be like, well, I probably don't like you either, guy screaming at me from your pickup truck that 
I'm a, a dork or whatever. Uh, so that was an adventure for, I stayed relatively recognizable. I want to say for like five years after that. And then not long after that, I was in grad school, finished grad school, super busy with grad school and, and the work I did after that. And then I started the video game stuff in part because I still had just enough road rules fame that a video game uh, website called Destructoid were like, oh yeah, we'll hire that guy to write for us. He was on road rules. That might help us. Video game sites and stuff like that were still on the way up. And I've still write for that site, mostly mm. just for fun now, but that was 2007 I started there. And uh, I have a new feature coming up pretty soon about video game series that I wish would come back like Ape Escape and Parappa the Rapper and stuff like that. So, so yeah, um, one thing kept leading to another thing, long story short. And I never really had a time where I stopped doing something that was an outlet to show who I was and having at least thousands of people responding to it, if not, if not more. I did an animated series for a while. It's no longer findable. It was called Teenage Pokemon. Mm. It was like foul-mouthed, annoying teenagers, but Pokemon. Um, once again, I didn't really think that one through well enough. People who loved Pokemon, who are going to be the target audience, hated it because I made all the Pokemon like Beavis and Butthead. They were all like annoying, dumb teenagers. I thought it was funny. And it got millions of views. People watched it, but it was very divisive. Like every single episode had exactly 50% likes and 50% dislikes. So I don't know. That's sort of the story of my life, I guess. <laughs> so always, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm always, always somewhere in between, but that, I think the most episode, most watched episode of that show got 3 million views on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I did all the voices and I did a lot of the character wow. design. I did all the writing. Um, so when that happened, I was like, I don't, I think that Road Rules also got like 3 million views average. So I'm like still as in the public as I was before, long after the fact, you know, now mm -hmm. bald and just sitting in front of a microphone by myself doing the voices for a bunch of Pokemon, uh, still managing to, to stay out there. So video games is essentially a big part of your life then now is from what you do. Yeah, it's it's strange because I'm I'm 46. I'll be 50 pretty soon. I am not like you could do great in video game stuff, Mike. If you want me to pull some connections, right. like you've got the look, you've got the style, you've you do something. I'm gonna do some Mike Lewis compliments now. You, Larry King said you should go about this. I don't know if you've studied Larry King, but you want to be like Boba Fett out there. You don't want people to think too much about who you are and put all yourself out there like I always do. You want to be cool, present, smart, but leave enough mystery that everyone watching the show could think Mike Lewis is just like me. I think this John guy's been talking way too much. And Mike is probably thinking the same thing I am. Look at his face. You know, like when you don't throw it all out there you can let other people fill in the blanks as to who you are and they can see themselves in you. Yeah. That's one of the many things I think you, you do naturally while still like not being boring. Like you show up, you've got your own ideas. Yeah. You're expressive. You're interesting, but in a way that leaves that 
opening for people to put themselves in your shoes. Um, why was I talking about that again? Oh, you're talking right? about me getting with the video game stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So video games are a fairly big part of my life. It's not my day job. I do it on the side. I write for a magazine called Lock On. I write for another magazine called Nintendo Force. I write for Destructoid still. I'm on a podcast called Talking to Women About Video Games, where I talk to two to three women about video games every week. Every other week, I'm sorry. It takes a little while to edit. I'm on another podcast called Boston's Favorite Son, where Stephanie Sterling, who's a professional wrestler and video game pundit, mm. comes up with ideas to make me famous again because they're like they're british like road rules was like 25 years ago you're your old hat you need to you need to do something new you need to start jumping off buildings and i'm like but i'll die they're like that's fine that's a, that's part of the gimmick but we'll keep you alive using trampolines and like it's been like 10 years we've been doing this show uh they keep coming up with new ideas and they're much grosser than that a lot of the time they involve like all sorts of gross stuff uh it's got, I want to say, like 50,000 regular listeners still. Wow. After like a decade uh, of different iterations of the show, but essentially the same premise. I started that show with Steph. Uh, yeah, I want to say it was 2010. So, oof, might be more like 13 years now. Um, that has been the place where I can express myself. And also, I love interviewing game developers. So, for me, the most fun thing about a video game at this point is getting to know the person who made it through their art. And I went mm -hmm. to art school, so like analyzing art has always been something I've enjoyed. I play them less as an escape and less as a way to pass the time now and more as a way to get to know the people who made them. And then I get to interview the people who made them afterwards and really get to know them. Mm -hmm. And like, we get deep. I just interviewed the creator of a game called Lone Survivor. He made it all by himself. It's like a zombie game, but it's 2D graphics, like Mario meets oh, okay. Resident Evil kind of. And he put so much of his soul into this game. It's about his own sense of isolation and and paranoia and sadness and wanting like love. And we, I interviewed him and we we're both crying, talking about like how hard life is. And I have to like, somehow get that that's for lock on magazine which is coming out pretty soon um some have to transcribe that and try to do justice to it but but long story short it's a very social thing for me games it's not mm -hmm. a way for me to like turn off and avoid the world it's a way for me to engage with it and try to create for the world uh, media around games and i again mostly do it for fun but i've been doing it for 15 years and I hope they never fire me because I uh, I love doing it. It's 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 what they call a jobby, like a job <laughs> hobby. Get paid a little bit, but I mostly do it for the the passion. Finding something that you're passionate about, but staying passionate about is a very tough thing to do. You know, even at times here, like, um, you know, I could find myself slightly jaded. You know what I mean? Mm. Like being able to find the passion and then like, have that same passion for why you started but being able to sustain that for as long as you have i gotta commend you for because that is that's quite incredible 15 Thanks, you said 15 years you said yeah i started writing at destructoid i want to say 2007 i started doing video for them because my hair had fallen out i immediately started pretending i was the street fighter boss named sagat 
So I got an eye patch and started like doing angry video game rants about they need more bald guys in video games. They need more ugly guys in video games, that sort of stuff. Um, not a hit, but people made like fan t-shirts of it, of me as Sagat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 the thing that keeps me going is definitely the fact that I'm getting to know these game developers and that social piece of it that means a lot to me. And also the audience response where no matter what I do, maybe only a hundred people will respond or 50 if I do something that really doesn't go over well, but there's still 50 people saying like, thank you. And the the magazine Nintendo force, I think we have about 5,000 readers, which isn't so big that I have to worry about screwing up and like looking bad in front of a bunch of people that are going to hate me, but it's big enough that like, people are bringing their kids up on the magazine they send us pictures of their kid reading it and i draw comics for it too because our school background people saying they love my comics and stuff it 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 it's more valuable to me than than monetary gain to to know that you got to connect with people is it's really what i've always wanted when i first tried out for road rules or real world my goal wasn't to get rich it was to leave a a piece of me behind because by 18 i was already thinking like i'm gonna die that sucks that's the end of me how can i leave some of me behind uh, to to live on after i'm physically dead guess i'll try out for the real world and (laughs) sort of worked like you can't find my season anymore but i i have it on youtube so anyone who wants to watch it just hit me up on twitter i'm at non trotsky on there send me a dm my dms are open I'll send you the unlisted link because I, I want people to continue to see what a weird jerk I was. <laughs> I guess uh, I want to live on through this stuff if I can. It's mm-hmm. um, it's it's sort of egomaniacal, I guess, but it's true. Well, I'm gonna paint the scene for you here. Yeah. So if somebody who didn't know you were to just you know approach you at like let's just say a bar or just any public venue. And were to ask you, what is your memory or favorite memory that comes to mind? Like, you know, people have like a crystallizing experience in their life, right? Where something will happen and it'll immediately draw them back to a time period in their life. And you associate Mm. things with images in your head of things from the past. So if I were to just say to you or somebody, like I said, who were to just see you in public would just say road rules to you what is like mm. thing that's going to come like just come to your mind as soon as you hear that wow yeah I, I immediately picture the winnebago and when we got robbed oh <laughs> I, think, to I, me, think, I think ronnie talked about that yeah 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 i bet um we got it's hard though because the emergency remission always comes to mind i think about that like on a weekly basis. And I ended up working in healthcare in part because of that um, mission where I found that I really loved helping people who needed help. But when we got robbed, it was such a humbling moment because here we are, we're on TV. We must be good looking, right? That's why they picked us. We're gonna be famous for a year, but we're gonna be famous, it's gonna be fun. And then no, you can still just get totally robbed. (laughs) <laughs> we got so much stuff, money, our stuff was stolen. And we were, had to remember that we are as human as everybody else, maybe even more vulnerable 
because they probably robbed us because they noticed we've got a bunch of cameras and whatnot. So they're, they're probably trying I, to get. I the assume cameras. you had money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the very least, we did not have money. Um, but I remember on that episode, I said something. I don't want to call it profound, but for a 20-year-old me, this wasn't bad. I said something along the lines of when you have to see all the stuff you lost and feel how bad that is, it makes you appreciate what you still have. And then they put that in the show, and I was like, I can say smart stuff sometimes that might inspire somebody somewhere. That I made the best out of that sort of crappy situation. And the other people on the cast who were semi-annoyed with my bad jokes a lot of the time, they were like, that's a good point. I was like, thanks. We all kind of lived through this together. It was like a real bonding moment for us as a cast as well, because again, it was it was humbling and we only really had each other for support around it. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you able to connect with some of those said cast members in the recent times, like six months or so, maybe even longer than that since your resurface? Yeah, uh, just Tara. And I sent her a bunch of codes. I get a bunch of codes for video games. Yeah. I said her kids love games. So I sent her some codes and I sent her a homemade Christmas card around um, Christmas. I was texting with Dan Setzler a little bit mm-hmm. and we almost had a phone call, but I had to go to Target and I was like late. <laughs> Target was about to close and he's like, you can call me right now. I'm like, Dan, Target's going to close. And like, we sort of fell off. Dan, I, I, Dan is like the coolest guy. Oh Dan, yeah. He talks about other people being cool, like Theo and Timmy. I'm sure they're great. I, I think I met Timmy once. He was nice. Dan is like, like the funniest most likable but smart and capable guy and i wanted dan and me to be buddies so bad and then they made a book about our season i think it's called passport abroad if i remember correctly it's uh the europe no the island season i can't remember the name of the books mike you have to forgive me for my own ignorance of my own book but they made like like a magazine style book with i think us in the island season Mm -hmm. and uh, um in the book, they asked Dan, like, would you hang out with John after the show? And he's like, no, he's not a bad guy. He means well, but I just don't want more of that right now. And ever since then, I've been like, should I reach out to Dan or does he? He was super nice to me in the text, though. He was like, if there was a video game or road rules, I would play as you every time. Because I was talking to TV last year about maybe making a, a game adaptation of road rules because I have all the game connections. Um, be like, Dan, you want to get this game with me? He's like, only if I can play as you. Super, super kind. I still just don't want to annoy the guy if he, like, he can call me anytime. He has my mm-hmm. number. Dan, if you're watching this, I love you. I just want you to love me. Call me anytime. You're, you're the best. Uh, Noah, I have no idea how to get a hold of him. I've tried looking him up. He was doing public speaking, I think, and owned a business. Mm-hmm. Anne is on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Um, there's a lot of impersonators of me on Facebook. I just want to stay away from it. It, it gives me the creeps a little bit. I'd love to talk with Anne again. I'd love to talk with Ronnie again. So proud of her on the All-Stars. I so wanted her to win. And I actually stopped watching after she, she got off because I was like, she was robbed. It was so, man, she could kick my ass, Ronnie. She's you know, always been such be, like a... Uh... Just such a very yeah. good athlete and competitor. Yeah. And and the thing about Ronnie, like for me, the best of road rules is 
no offense to Ann and, and Noah, but you got to be honest, right? It's Dan, Tara, and Ronnie were like the best of our season. Just the, to me, what I love about Road Rules the most, because Ronnie does not make it about herself at all. When I told her I tried out for the real world, she's like, why would you do that? I'm like, because I want people to know what I'm like. They're like, why would you want to just show up and have fun? Just live your life. Don't make it about you. Like she is so humble. Uh, and yet she's like an incredible performing artist and photographer. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if you knew this, but she was taking pictures the whole time in our season as a budding photographer. She took pictures in the emergency room of people's guts and stuff. I'm like, are you allowed to do this? And she's like, I'm going for it. Like just clear, confident, smart, but like no ego, never making it about her. Like no narcissism, I should say. Right. She's really strong in her sense of self, but has no interest in making it about herself. She's just showing up to execute. And is on top of that, just like a great, genuine, funny person. Tara is all about adventure and people and like love and being kind. And Dan is sort of in between the two. And the three of them hung out a lot on the show where Dan is an amazing athlete, but he's also amazing with people and manages to, I mean, why isn't he on the show? Why, why are they? It's not just me at this point. Like only Ronnie from my season has been back for all-stars at this point i, I, I think, really think i think tara came close yeah uh, mm -hmm. on the yeah. second all-star season was she like an alternate or something yeah okay so i don't know i thought we were pretty good i i, I hope they get you guys, are, you, guys are, you know knocking at the door waiting to kick it down but we're just kind of... <laughs> ronnie ronnie made it through uh one of those um you know those doggy doors like on the bottom where like you just kind of like yeah, she, she, she kind of snuck through. So she, hopefully, hopefully her entry into the, the series will open the door for uh, the rest of you guys to kind of. Move. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, with, with All-Stars 4, I saw the leaked uh, cast. I was talking with Gamer Vev a little bit on, on Twitter. Okay. And uh, they were showing me the, the, the leaked cast. And I was so relieved to see people around my age who was on there. Um it gave me a little bit of hope and just people I know personally and like some, right. some folks I, I knew from those days were, were on there. But, um, but yeah, I, Oh, I had a thought. I lost it probably for the best. I can go on and on. Like, you gotta, you gotta stop me. How are, how are we doing? We're over an hour, I guess, or about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. 58 minutes. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the way I am. I had other stuff I was going to say, but it's probably for the best. You can always have me back on. Someday, yeah, if you want. I mean, or we, we can talk even... some more. I'm not cutting you off, but I'm no, just... no, you're fine. I wanted to ask okay. too. I think I saw um, you had acted in something too. I think around 2008, I want to say. Wow. Great research. Uh, was it 2008? I was in a short film collection called. Oh, I can't remember what the whole 12. It's called 12. Mm -hmm. And each short film is based on a month of the year. So I was in the March one, and I play a singing serial killer. You can watch that on YouTube. Uh, in terms of acting outside of that, I've mostly here and there done voice acting for video games. I would do it for free. They sometimes pay me. 
but I was in a game called 2064 Read Only Memories, which is mm -hmm. was a, a game that was made exclusively by people who are not straight. Mm, and okay. I was like shocked that because I'm I'm straight, though my audience is often not, uh, which makes me like super flattered, actually, because when you're not straight, it can be hard to trust people who are straight because you've been discriminated against them so much, discriminated against by them so much. But I, they've like welcomed me into the community. And this is one example. They're like, well, you voice act in our game. I'm like, I'll do it for free. He said, we'll pay you. I'm like, if you want. So I uh, was in that with Xavier Woods as well, the professional wrestler. From, from WWE, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's in that game too, which is which is a weird sort of crossover. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a big gamer, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He is. I'd love to meet him someday. We have the connection um, of having both been in 2064, but they recorded all of our voices separately, so we like never met or anything. Um, I'm in a game called Lisa the Painful playing myself as like a, a cannibal it's uh have you seen the last of us mike yeah the last of us original concept was all the women in the world were going to be infected oh. and essentially the all women were going to die and it was going to be hard to have babies so it was not only like monsters but also the end of our ability to reproduce another guy coincidentally had made a game of that premise before the last of us came out it's called lisa the painful so it's all men and they're all awful and i'm one of the men so you put, <laughs> put me in there playing myself um i'm probably going to be in a game called eugenics coming up by the creator of super meat boy i'm going to play a cat it's all about um breeding cats but with nuclear uh, effects on them so it's like mutated so is, cats it's all voice work is what you're saying Mm -hmm. okay yeah, so voice, acting. voice work okay cool yeah mostly mostly voice acting with a teenage pokemon thing not the best voice acting in the world and trust me the world let me know but i do have experience being able to get in front of a mic and i usually don't uh and um all that much i don't have too many vocal tics or anything i can say the words so so people often get me in there for for that sort of thing it's pretty regular i, I would say i i'm probably in a game every other year or so in some capacity well, that's really cool. Yeah, it's really fun. It's usually indie games. A lot of people never heard of them. But again, the fact that I got to leave my mark in some ways is something I'm really grateful for. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to at least close this episode. I'm sure this is not going to be the last time you and I chat, you know, potentially if you get on one of those seasons or, you know, if you're up for it, maybe you can come on here and recap uh, one of the seasons that you won't be on. If you're up, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, Mike, it's uh, it's just fun to talk to you. You've given me all the space to just go for it, and yet getting in there with precision, with just the right amount of talk on your own. Uh, I would talk to you about whatever you want anytime. It's my pleasure. All righty. Well, I thank you for your kind words. This was a great time chatting, and um, I'll let you know and tag you when all this is out when I promote it. But um, thanks again. Hope uh, the rest of your day is good. Thanks. You too, Mike. Take care. You too.